This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. A dangerous encounter at sea, a Chinese vessel cutting in front of a U.S. warship, coming as close as 150 yards in the Taiwan Strait. But tensions are not limited to the region's waterways. A Chinese fighter jet earlier cut in front of a U.S. aircraft's nose mid-flight. The American plane's cockpit shaking under turbulence. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Another close call with China. Footage showing a Chinese warship coming dangerously close to a U.S. destroyer in the Taiwan Strait. Here's more. 150 yards. That's how close the Chinese warship was when it cut in front of a U.S. missile destroyer on Saturday. The American ship forced to slow down to avoid a collision. A Canadian Navy commander saw the incident firsthand. The fact that uh, this was announced over the radio prior to doing it clearly indicated that it was intentional. Mount Ford was on a Canadian vessel doing joint drills with the U.S. warship. The close encounter was in the Taiwan Strait, the body of water separating Taiwan from mainland China. Maneuvering close to each other, 150 yards uh, is, is very scary. Uh, and you, you don't ever want to be that close to another vessel because too many things can go wrong and you can actually have a collision. The close call came days after another dangerous encounter when a Chinese jet cut in front of the nose of a U.S. aircraft, the American jet shaking from turbulence several hundred feet. It's dangerous. Back to the near collision at sea. America's defense chief reacted to the news, calling the case troubling. To be clear, we do not seek conflict or confrontation. But we will not flinch in the face of bullying or coercion. But Beijing is hitting back, saying the U.S. should, quote, reflect deeply and correct its wrongdoing. Close encounters can become deadly. In 2001, a Chinese fighter jet collided with a U.S. spy plane, forcing it to land on China's Hainan Island. The Chinese fighter pilot died in the incident. An unexpected turn amid tensions on the water, both China and the U.S. will be deploying warships for joint drills in Indonesia. Over 30 countries are set to join the drill, including Japan, Russia and South Korea. The host, Indonesia, saying in a statement that the drills are a non-war exercise that aims to bolster relationships between the country's navies. A simulated attack against U.S. vessels. China sank the world's largest aircraft carrier in a war game simulation. And Chinese researchers are saying that the result shows even the strongest warship can be destroyed by hypersonic missiles. NTD's Sam Wong has more. After 20 rounds of battles, a volley of hypersonic missiles struck the USS Gerald R. Ford carrier fleet, shattering the world's most technologically advanced warship. During the simulation, the fleet was attacked after proceeding its route towards a China-claimed island in the South China Sea. Chinese researchers said that the vessel, which used to be considered unsinkable, can be sunk, quote, with certainty, by a small number of hypersonic missiles. The USS Gerald R. Ford is equipped with layers of protective system and defense measures, which allow the ship to lessen damages while tracking incoming threats. 
Worth noting, this is the first time China released the results of a simulated attack against U.S. carrier fleet. NTD reached out to the U.S. Navy in regards to the simulation, but did not hear back by airtime. Military personnel use wargame simulations to develop strategies for different scenarios. But unforeseen circumstances often come up in real-life situations. For decades, China has considered almost the entire South China Sea as its own territory and has militarized several artificial islands in the region. The regime recently intercepted a U.S. aircraft over the disputed water. Sam Wang, NTD News. The Chinese warship provocation comes as a senior U.S. State Department official is in China. Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs Daniel Crittenbrink landed in Beijing Sunday. The State Department says he will discuss key issues in the bilateral relationship during his visit. Officials announced the trip just hours after U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin spoke in Singapore at Asia's top security summit, where he blasted China for refusing to hold military talks over territorial disputes in the South China Sea. A senior Chinese military official fired back at Austin, saying the U.S. was responsible for a breakdown in dialogue by ramping up sanctions on Chinese officials and destabilizing the Asia-Pacific's region with its military presence. At the same time, Beijing doesn't seem pleased with the U.S. diplomat's visit. Its mouthpiece, The Global Times, calling the visit motivated more by Washington's own goal to portray itself as the side seeking communication and not Beijing. Beijing has frozen high-level diplomatic contacts with the U.S. after the Chinese spy balloon incident in February, when the U.S. shot down the craft. At the time, Washington called off Secretary of State Antony Blinken's planned trip to Beijing, but has since been trying to restart high-level talks, like rescheduling Blinken's visit and setting up other trips by top U.S. officials. But China is giving Washington the cold shoulder. Over on the U.S. side, critics also have criticized the latest diplomatic visit, slamming the Biden administration for the timing because Sunday, June 4th, marked the 34th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. That's when the Chinese military opened fire on pro-democracy protesters, killing hundreds, possibly thousands. People around the world gathered over the weekend to mark the 34th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. A candlelight vigil was held in Washington, D.C. to remember those killed and injured in the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. We at the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation will continue to call for justice and accountability for the victims of the Tiananmen Square massacre. Members of the Uyghur, Tibetan and Hong Kong communities condemned the ongoing brutal crimes of the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. I hope that starting from this year, we also make this a day of reflection, of action. At a vigil in London Sunday, many Chinese said there are more people from mainland China participating this year. A lot of people in China have a kind of awareness that the government wants to maintain its dictatorship. They want to maintain their rule, and they don't care whether the people live or die. One tourist from mainland China said it was the zero-COVID lockdowns that pushed him to attend. He thinks more young mainlanders, once skeptical of the situations in Taiwan and Hong Kong, are now changing their minds. Not only in England, but in Paris, but in Berlin, but in, uh, in America and in overseas. The young people are feeling about that. I think it's a trend. 
Dozens of demonstrators rallied in Sydney and chanted slogans like Free Hong Kong and Free Tibet. Some held yellow umbrellas and placards in remembrance. Freedom fighters in China still carry on the fight to achieve the hope and aspiration for freedom and democracy in China. Hundreds of people gathered at a memorial in Taipei's Liberty Square in Taiwan. We need to remember history, but we also have to be cautious. We should not allow democracy and freedom to be infringed upon again. The candlelight vigil was adorned with flowers and a pillar of shame statue. One attendee said it's important to show strong determination and protect Taiwan's values regardless of the threat of war. We are the group of people who will protect freedom. We cherish this value. We need to let the enemy know that we will not exchange freedom for security or other benefit. In mainland China, any mention of the Tiananmen Square massacre is heavily censored and prohibited by the CCP. The exact number of those killed in the 1989 Tiananmen Square student protests is unknown. Declassified documents from an unnamed whistleblower in 2017 indicated at least 10,000 were killed. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. As the world commemorates the anniversary of the bloody crackdown in Hong Kong, the location for the annual Tiananmen Vigil was replaced with a pro-China food fair this year. Since the city's own major pro-democracy movement in 2019, restrictions from Beijing have stifled what were once the biggest vigils and memorials marking the 1989 student demonstrations. Over the weekend, Hong Kong deployed around 6,000 police officers to suppress any attempted demonstrations, including riot and anti-terrorism units. Over 30 people were arrested for their involvement, including 67-year-old prominent democracy activist Alexandra Wong, also known as Grandma Wong. Another person detained was carrying the script of the theatrical play May 35th. The play has not been performed in Hong Kong since the year 2020, before the enactment of the national security law that Beijing imposed on the city that year. The play tells the story of a husband and wife dealing with the loss of their son, who was killed when troops opened fire on pro-democracy protesters in and around Tiananmen Square. This performance was staged in Taiwanese capital Taipei last week. A partnership upgrade may be in the cards for Washington and New Delhi. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin visited India Monday. Meeting with his Indian counterpart Rajnath Singh, the two discussed regional security and weapons supply chains. The officials agreed to look for opportunities to co-develop new technologies and co-produce both old and new gear. That's as India works to ease up on purchases from its biggest arms supplier, Russia. A DOD press release noted that cooperation will cover air combat and land mobility systems, intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance, munitions, and the undersea domain. As for Indo-Pacific security, the nations aim to improve cooperation between their militaries. That partnership is also designed to support India's status as a major regional security protector. We continue to work uh, with, with like-minded uh, countries to um, ensure that the region remains free and open. Washington's defense trade with India sits at over $20 billion as of 2020, after skyrocketing from virtually zero in 2008. 
The nation's main purchases from the U.S. include long-range maritime patrol aircraft, C-130 transport aircraft, missiles and drones. The discussions also touched on space, cyberspace and artificial intelligence. Austin's trip comes ahead of Prime Minister Narendra Modi's visit to Washington on June 22nd. Some speculate defense contracts could get announced during that time. China is pulling back funds from Southeast Asia. According to Australian think tank the Lowy Institute, the region's biggest source of funding is now sending money elsewhere. The majority of those funds were loans used to support critical infrastructure projects, including high-speed railways in Malaysia, Indonesia and Thailand. Between 2015 and 2021, the Chinese payout made up almost 20 percent of Southeast Asia's total financing. But its contribution dropped from $7.6 billion in 2015 to $3.9 billion in 2021. The Lowy Institute said that the Asian Development Bank and the World Bank took over the region's source of funding during the COVID-19 pandemic. Beijing's decision to call that financial support comes as other countries, like the U.S., Australia and Japan, chime in, offering their own assistance in an effort to counter Beijing's political leverage. For years, China has been pouring funds into foreign infrastructure projects. The regime launched a Belt and Road Initiative back in 2013, aiming to secure economic dominance while stretching its influence across the globe. But the initiative has been hitting bumpers as projects fail to land and nations falling into mounting debt. Coming up, another close encounter. A Chinese warship came dangerously close to a U.S. destroyer in the Taiwan Strait. The incident marks the second major provocation by China's military in the span of a week. The Pentagon accusing Beijing of acting in an unsafe manner. Was the Chinese vessel's act a deliberate one? We dive in after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. What do the recent near misses with China mean for the U.S.? And what about the defense officials speaking past each other in Singapore over the weekend? Grant Newsham, retired Marine colonel and author of When China Attacks, breaks it down. Grant Newsham, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Well, glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I want to zoom in on this near collision that happened over the weekend between the U.S. and a Chinese naval vessel in the Taiwan Strait. What kind of message is China sending here? Well, they're sending a very clear message, really, for the umpteenth time, that they consider the South China Sea, the Taiwan Strait, and surrounding waters to be Chinese territory. And they are gradually locking down uh, control of the these waters and doing it bit by bit. Look at this over the years, and you'll see the Chinese capabilities to enforce this have gradually strengthened. And one of these days, they are just going to say, don't come in. Uh, but it's, it's a gradual process, it, and it's what China does. They lay claim to something they want, and then they sort of harden it, and then they absolutely take control of it. And we're seeing this process played out. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin blasted China for what happened with the warships. And then we have China's defense minister kind of saying the U.S. and allies are trying to provoke China. So how do we ensure deterrence going forward? Uh, this was a very clear, firm statement that China is willing to use force. Uh, and I so say you'd better take that seriously. Uh, 
But what you're seeing now is that China really has uh, sort of the, at least the military strength to assert its interests and to play rough if it feels like it. Uh, China's economy is in actually uh, pretty bad shape. And that's one of the reasons why uh, the Chinese are talking uh, to, I think, uh, Gina Raimundo, the Secretary of Commerce, uh, that they're willing to talk to the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. Uh, and they've got a problem, and they know it. But on the military front, uh, they're playing hard to get. And it works very well with the Americans, who appear unable to keep their mouths shut. Uh, really, if there's one way you want to make uh, many Americans uncomfortable, it's just don't talk to them. And to make it even worse, just act like you don't like them. And the Chinese know this, and they know that we will come groveling uh, and making concessions just so we will talk to them. In terms of the military potentially escalating, in 2001, there was the Hainan incident. If something were to happen again, say with these near misses recently, how would you see this iteration going out? It's a miracle nobody has gotten hurt uh, yet. And that Hainan incident when the U.S. surveillance airplane was, was rammed by a Chinese fighter pilot, uh, the crew should have been killed. Uh, we're going to find out one day uh, what happens when Americans and or friends are killed by this in this Chinese behavior. Uh, at that point, it's going to depend on who is in the White House. Uh, you may have some uh, people who will want to just back off and uh, tamper things down and just get back to normal. Just don't overreact to this because we mustn't have nuclear war, you know. And then you have others who might say, okay, enough's enough, and you know, take necessary measures on that. Uh, the Chinese do, do seem to think, however, that they uh, can run this risk, and they're showing that they are willing to run the risk of really killing Americans, killing Australians, Japanese, Canadians, uh, and they don't seem to be convinced that America is going to respond all that, all that hard. But then you have a lot of other people being welcomed into China. Actually, a senior U.S. official, Daniel Crittenbrink, is in Beijing right now. He arrived same day as the Tiananmen Square massacre anniversary. We also had formerly the CIA director, William Burns, there recently, and a lot of CEOs with Elon Musk and Jamie Dimon. How should we read all this? Is there a shift in how policy is being done? Oh, I think it reflects a, an incoherence in U.S. policy towards China. Uh, we talk a lot about the, the military threat, and then you have our top economic, uh, business leaders going to China and effectively kowtowing uh, to the Chinese, saying that, well, we've you know, we got to do business with you. We really need you. Uh, we want to you know, put our money into China. And the Chinese love hearing that. And so they don't take us all that seriously when we talk about upping our military game. Uh, as for uh, Assistant Secretary Crittenbrink going to Beijing, uh, well, that once again reflects this American belief. It's a conceit that if we can just talk to people, we can work out any problems, they'll get to know us, they'll like us, and they will then behave the way we want them to. Uh, there's no, not really a shred of evidence. And Grant, given all the talk coming out of the U.S., what actions should the U.S. be doing to really ensure, especially going forward, deterrence? I would quietly make it clear to the Chinese that the next time we're not going to stop and leave it at that, and then they can figure out the rest. And I would wish that the, the people in charge 
Um, we're taking a sort of a broader look at what we need to do to take on the Chinese. Uh, it's Chinese communists. It's not just a, a military question. Uh, that's a large part of it. Grant Newsham, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.